Welcome, Todd. Thank you. Now, I know that we talk, Amy and I are often talking about um, America and our experiences there, because our time in America, which is many years ago now, was so foundational to us as, as people and certainly as, as disciples of Jesus and also as leaders. But when we talk about America, it's obviously not just a nation we're, we're actually talking about, it's people, humans uh, that we met who encouraged us. And Prince of Chief among those people was and is Todd. And you and I have known each other since probably I was, I was 17 or 18, right, which is sort yeah. of 17 or 18 years now. Yeah. Um, and you have been... Yeah, as I've said, I think uh, just now, the, the great, one of the greatest encouragers. So honestly, it's such a privilege. I mean, we were wandering around the building just now, weren't we, and just thinking, I can't believe, you know, this whole story. And, and you know, it's a picture for us of God's faithfulness. But. Yeah, I mean, the building is just remarkable. You, you need to know. I was here a year ago, and it was empty and cold. Thank you for turning the heat today for me. I know that was just really an honor of my visit because um, I heard it, it gets a bit chilly here, but this, what a space. But I will tell you, I'm, I'm far more blown away this morning by you. I mean, just seeing this room full of people because I knew you when you were a twinkle in Johnny and Amy's eye. And what I mean by that is a very fruitful couple, obviously. Um, the, very, the very first time I met Amy, I met Johnny when you were... Uh, 17, but then the first time I met Amy, they were talking about you. Um, as they were talking as a, as a newlywed couple, talking about their dream for leading a community someday. And they had no idea what you would look like. And, and quite honestly, they didn't think it looked like this. Um, they had dreams of um, church and office spaces and sort of some of the least likely places. Um, and they had dreams of London, and then those dreams turned towards Newport Beach and um, different spaces. So it wasn't Nottingham, it wasn't this building, but um, it was this heart, this heart of a church that was on fire for the sake, of not just ourselves, but the city it was placed in. And so it is just a, just a remarkable thing to see how faithful God has been. And, um, and to know it's just beginning. I, what's the name of your worship? Um, Joanne. Joanne. I was telling Joanne, because I met Joanne, um, I think maybe last time I was here, and I just said, isn't it a privilege to be a pioneer? Do you know, even as some of you this morning are just being called into the story, you are founding mothers and fathers. If God calls you here, he's calling you into the very beginning, the early days. And I know, as someone that's had a chance now to plant a couple churches, just what a privilege it is to be a part of these early days, but I, I just can't tell you how excited I am to go back and tell all the friends, you know, Johnny and Amy have hundreds of Americans that keep praying the wind will blow them back that direction, sort of like Mary Poppins. We just want to see, we just want to see them head that, but, but it's so obvious, no, they have been invested here for, um, for the sake of a work that God is just beginning. I mean, there's so much, I, I mean, honestly, the, the, you're going to speak to us and, and you'll share with us what God's put on your heart. <laughs> I want, to hear, want these guys to hear some of your story. Really, the hope, the hope of this time is we feel so deep. Amy and I feel so deeply connected with uh, a community of people in another part of the world. And we're just so keen that you, that our church, feels that and captures that. So part of what the purpose of, of having uh, just this time is just so that you might sense something of what God is doing in the world and in a particular part of the world that we've spent a lot of time in because I actually think some of what God has for us as a church is to be connected with other parts of the church in different parts of the world so that's part of it 
I, I guess, just tell us a little bit about, Todd, your family and what you're doing at the moment. That'd be, a, be good to know that about you and the community that you're a part of. Yeah, so my family, um, we have four kids as well. Four is the new two, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, and uh, they're quite a bit older than Johnny and Amy's kids. And uh, we, we met as I was leading a church in Orange County, California called Rock Harbor. Um, and I came into that. You know, today as we talk about Joshua, uh, you know, God just has a long legacy of unlikely leaders, right? That, I mean, that seems to be how he does it. And if you feel that way, like there's no way way. <laughs> you know, God's saying, exactly, that's the kind of person I'm looking for is the person that maybe doesn't see themselves stepping up. And that was certainly my story. I was, um, like Joanne, I was a worship leader, worship pastor, and that was just fine, um, hanging out behind a keyboard. And God called me out to lead um, a church in the midst of crisis uh, that then ended up being a, a, a permanent assignment. And uh, it was in that season I met Johnny and Amy. Um, but since has left that church and um, we're in the midst of planting another church called Canopy in, um, in that same Orange County area. And then I actually do this really cool work with Alpha. I know you guys um, are on the journey of, of using Alpha. Um, but what I have a chance to do is introduce um, American leaders of key churches there, not just to Alpha, but to what God has been doing over here over the last 30 years in the midst of an incredible renewal. And I want you to know that one of my greatest privileges and joys is, and it's going to happen this week, is to bring, we'll have a group of about 40 or 50 American leaders from largely very significant churches that will come and hang out at HTB, which I know is, you know, uh, for those of you that are maybe new to the story, you wouldn't know, but that's played a big part in your story. But we'll hang out there and we'll talk about Alpha, but we'll talk more about what God has been up to in your nation. Over these last decades, somebody was praying earlier just towards, um, you know, the UK rediscovering its, its, not just its Christian roots, but Jesus. But that's what I've encountered coming from a quote-unquote Christian nation. I've really met Jesus far more powerfully here in the midst of the desperation. And there is a, there's a holy discontent, a holy desperation on display here um, in the lives of, of you know, of Jesus followers, because to, to follow Jesus here isn't a cool thing, right? Or it's not a normal thing. And still, in, in our country, there's sort of the remnants of just cultural Christianity. You grow up in the church, you, you know, it's, it's just something you, you do because that's what you do, and that's culturally acceptable. That's not my experience here. And so there is this deep longing for more that God always honors. We'll talk about that today. And so it's so fun to see these leaders from America come over and experience that longing. And it, it sort of lights a fire in them to want that for their churches. So I play a role introducing you know, leaders to both Alpha as a tool and just the whole culture behind it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm even answering your question anymore. So that's some of what I'm up to. Yeah. I mean, maybe I, this next question, maybe the answer to this question is, is your sermon. And if so, uh, keep us waiting. But... What is it you sense and see God doing, uh, teaching you, showing you? Um, yeah, that could be in California or here, and you've spoken a little bit about the hunger side of things. Yeah, in, in, our, in our country, um, there's been historically, the, the, even the Holy Spirit himself has been very polarizing um, because either... There are people that are so in that it just gets really weird, and you know, there's been people on TV with bad hair, and just kind of a, a culture around being somebody that's really spirit-led that has been almost something that's kept people at a distance. 
Um, but then on the other side of that, there's just been a complete ignorance of the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and our churches. And so it's an interesting time where there seems to be, even amongst large churches or churches that seem like they're working in terms of their buildings that are filled and you know, books that are written and websites that are launched, there just seems to be this growing holy discontent, Johnny. Um, and, and I've experienced that to be a longing for what only God can do. I, I, one of the things, you know, Alpha itself, there's something that's said about it. I don't know if you've heard of this, but they, they say it's designed to fail unless God shows up. And that is really true. If you've done an Alpha course, you know, that's kind of true. You know, there's the assumption that there's some things we're going to do, but really God has to do the most important stuff. I think that should be true of every church. The churches themselves are designed to fail unless God shows up, and that has not been true of the American church. Um, we have been designed around giftings of man and strategies and, again, the right fonts on screen and smoke machines. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that we have built communities on at times, not always. And I think there has never been a greater longing for the stories that could only be explained by God. That's the journey we were on together at Rock Harbor. You need to know that Johnny and Amy came into a church with thousands and as a young couple, they were supposed to come over for a year. Um, we kept them for three, tried to keep them longer. But as a young couple, they, even at the beginning of their ministry journey, seemed to radiate a longing for the Spirit and a longing for more that began to infect our staff team and our elder team and work its way out into our church. They really helped start a prayer ministry. You guys have a third Wednesday. It's called Third Wednesday. Rock Harbor has still Third Wednesdays where people just come to worship and pray with, without inhibition, with freedom. And that was largely started because Johnny and Amy showed up. So I, wanted, I just want to say thank you, um, which is kind of weird because you didn't even know them then, but kind of ret retroactive thanks. Is that, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but God's outside of time and space, so he, he knows what I mean. And know that your leaders have been an incredible gift to our country. And I will say, I believe it's just beginning. I mean, Johnny and I were talking um, this morning and last night we were walking the city and just saying, you know, what's God up to here? And I just, I just want to state the, state the obvious. It is only beginning. It was never about getting in the building. Now it's about how God's going to use this building to send people out of the building. I really believe that. In fact, this morning I just had this sense that God has been very generous to you already, but he's more excited about being generous through you. You need to hear that, that this is going to be a community of generosity that's going to extend far beyond this city, these walls. Um, we've been talking already about leaders being raised up, but it begins here. And what an exciting time to, again, just be a part of the early days. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here with you. Thank you, Todd. Well, let me pray for you, and, um, and then we'll, we'll just... Let's do it. Yeah, we'll hear from you. Father, thank you. Thank you for um, your servant, your son, and your friend, Todd, who has given so much to so many, uh, to Amy, to myself, and to so many others, friends of ours, and who has something in his heart for us today. And we gratefully receive it today from, from you through him. And we ask that you would give him an experience of deep joy in these moments, and that you would bless him and canopy church in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach now, even as they sleep. Bless them. Radiate your presence to and through Todd for us in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. By the way, if, if you need another sign of the favor of God, to have a ministry to dogs is an amazing thing. Dog walking ministry, that, that is a truly healthy and vibrant Amen. church. Amen. We love dogs. Well, I, I, it's funny. I, it, just, it, it occurred to me this morning, I very recently heard a, a wise older, even than me, pastors say that you should never, have you ever heard of this, Johnny? He said you should never preach, this was Bill Dogtrum, he said never preach out of your devotional life. You know, that should be something that's separate from your preaching. And I'm about to break that rule entirely today because I've realized what I'm bringing out of this passage in Joshua is pretty much for me. It may, may, may not be for you at all. I've realized this is really God's word to me in, in this new year that I have been marinating in. And so I'm just hoping that it, it does in some way connect with the journey you are on, not only as a part of this church, but just personally. I am somebody that loves a new year. Anybody like that just loves a new start? Yeah? Come on. I mean, I need lots of new starts. And so it's just great to have a blank slate, glad, you know, glad to buy a new calendar. I don't think people even buy calendars anymore, but I do. I did. Um, because I just, want, I just want a new beginning, and God is a God of new beginnings. But what I want to share with you this morning or some thoughts on how do you cross into a new year well? Um, and not just beginning a new year, but particularly in times when you're facing questions and challenges, which is actually a time that, that we're in right now. Not in a bad way, but there's some uncertainties we're looking at this year. Uh, my wife, Lisa, and I, as we've been praying, and whether it's for our church or for ourselves, and I would imagine without another raise of hands, there are a lot of you that are up against some things as well this year that, you know... As you're looking at a new year and there's excitement and hopefully the expectancy, there's also questions and uncertainties. And I uh, was really encouraged by this passage. We read part of it, the story of God's people, Israel, crossing into a new season. And just some things that I drew out of it as, as calls. You know, what, how does God call his people into a new beginning, a new season? And today, uh, we're going to go to this Jordan River. I noticed, what's the river called in town? The Trench River. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so we're going to go to a river called the Jordan River. And this is one of two very famous water crossings in Scripture. If you've been around church a bit or have read in the Old Testament, you'll know there's this defining water crossing, really the defining narrative of um, certainly the Old Testament and in lots of ways just in Scripture itself is this Exodus narrative where God's people after 400 years of being slaves in Egypt and in this perpetual identity crisis are called out of Egypt by crossing over the Red Sea. And there's this miraculous parting of waters and God raises up this unlikely guy named Moses who says, not me, and God says, perfect. That's the kind of guy I'm looking for, someone who doesn't want to be the story. And so God uses him powerfully to lead these people across a parted sea, parted body of water into not the promised land, but to the wilderness. There's a, a time in the wilderness that God uses um, to, to shape them deeply. Now, what's interesting is that that time in the wilderness, I read that it should have taken about 11 days to go from the Red Sea to the Jordan. And you'll know it took a little longer, 40 years. And it's because there were some deep lessons that God had to teach his people that just took them way longer than expected. In fact, there's an entire generation that ended up having to die off because they just couldn't 
trust God to lead them well, to provide for them. We'll talk about that today. There was a reliance on God that they struggled with deeply because they, they kept looking back over their shoulders and kind of romanticizing, idealizing their past. Even in Egypt, even in chains, they would say, oh yeah, but we were fed there and we had a roof over our head there. And God was calling them towards a future that wasn't just about a land. It wasn't about real estate. It was about a calling, a purpose to be showcased as his people in this important place. But again, it took way longer to get there. But finally, in this particular passage, we are there. We are at the Jordan with Israel. And there's a new generation. There's a new start. There's a new leader. And his name is Joshua. And he's been called out, kind of out of Moses' shadow. And Moses, who again was this humble guy that didn't even want the job, now has become really revered as one of the greatest, perhaps the greatest leader in the history of Israel. And today, we're just going to look at these three calls. I'll tell you what they are in advance. My wife always tells me that I don't signpost very well, so I'm going to signpost ahead of time and hopefully through it. But here are the calls. We're going to look at a call to readiness. We're going to look at a call to uh, reliance and a call to remembrance. And they all start with R because the Holy Spirit really anoints alliteration. At least that's what pastors think. So first of all, we want to talk about this idea of a call to readiness. We read this passage but I want to remind you of a phrase that may, may have stuck out to you. I think we, it got an amen from Amy over here. And it was the phrase out of Joshua 3.6 where Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You see, here, here is all of Israel. And we think of all of Israel. We're not sure how many people. We're likely talking a million plus. There's a lot of people stacked up against this river, the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is uh, in flood season. It's, it's the, the spring, the harvest, and, and it's really uncrossable. And so they're camped against this river. They're wondering what's going to happen. And they're in some ways forced to wait and just live in view of this obstacle. They know they're supposed to get across. That's where the promised land is. But they don't know how they're going to get across. And after three days of waiting, the call is to make themselves ready, to consecrate themselves. And that's a, a churchy word for uh, set yourself apart, get clear. As I was reading it it's, it, it's a call to say, align your heart and your mind to God. Because this had so often been a double-minded people. You know, the wilderness was marked by just constantly... Again, looking back and, and remembering and, and, and a, a call to idolatry, they would sometimes in the midst of being called to, to make God the epicenter of their worship, they'd so often just pull other, you know, idols from different cultures in. And so this was historically a double-minded people. And Joshua was calling them to a single-minded, clear focus a spiritual readiness that could have, honestly, as he said, consecrated themselves. It could have involved an external washing. The, the word used there in the Hebrew was also used for priests to prepare themselves to be used by God to receive sacrifices. But it's, God's never as interested in the outside as he is the inside. And there really is a clear call, a simple call to be ready not to do the work, but to watch God do the work. And that's the key. We'll talk about that. What Moses isn't saying is, hey, get ready to, to go to work. No, he's saying you need to be ready somehow. You need to be set apart. You need to be clear-minded, single-minded, devoted in a way that will prepare you to watch God do what he is going to do. 
And so that's the first call that I see in, in this story, but also for me is that I want to go into 2019 which, with that kind of readiness. And I've, I've realized how double, triple, quadruple-minded I am. I tend to be pretty ADD in general, and my mind's all over the place. And so often, I find myself missing moments because I just wasn't really living in the moment. And there's something about this kind of readiness that puts us in position to watch God work, but also be in the flow of his power. You know, Johnny, we were walking last night just around his neighborhood, and um, I think it was last night, maybe it was this morning. We're doing a lot of walking. This guy likes to walk, by the way. Uh, it's a very British thing. We, we just spend a lot of time on the internet in America. Um, but we were walking in, and he used a metaphor, which is one of my favorite metaphors. He talked about a sailboat. And that's something we talked a lot about even in our days at Rock Harbor, where a beautiful picture of a church, I think, is a sailboat, where um, you know, a sailboat is not designed to power itself, right? It's not really designed to be its own source of power. It'd be odd to see somebody rowing in a sailboat. And I, I, I live in a place, a gorgeous place that has a lot of sailboats out in the bay, but they only use motors to really power out to where they can catch the wind. But the point of a sailboat is to catch the wind. And not only as a church community, but I think for us personally, that is the way God has designed us, is to not be the source of our own power, but to learn to position ourselves to catch the wind. I know that's what God's doing here at Trinity. I mean, God is teaching you how do we raise our sails, how do we adjust our sails, so that as the wind comes, as the power begins to flow, we can be positioned in the midst of that. But that is, I believe, a call God has on you personally this year. How do you be ready, be consecrated in such a way that as the wind begins to blow in 2019, you haven't charted your own course, you're not out there trying to row in the direction you feel is right, but you just have the freedom to go, my primary role is just get the sail up. And I really believe that's what God is, through Joshua, telling the Israelites in this passage, just get your sails up. That's all that's required of you. And for me, practically, I'll tell you, you know, it might be good to pause and go, how would that play out in your life this year? What would it look like for you to answer that call of consecration, of readiness? One really practical way that God's been speaking to me is to give my mornings back to him. I'm somebody, we do have four kids. I've got a couple different roles I'm playing. We just got a lot going on. And I so often stay up late and crash into mornings, way too late, um, way too stressed. And God is just saying, that's a space that I want to be consecrated. And I want time with you at that time of the day in ways that change the course of your day, in ways that allow you to kind of hoist your sails for that day. Does it make sense? So I'm not sure what it looks like for you, but I, I want to pause for a minute and just ask you to ask that question. What would it look like for you to consecrate yourself in this new year? What does it look like for you to answer that call to readiness? And that call to readiness leads very naturally to the second call, and it's a call to what I would call reliance, a reliance on God. You know, one of the most obvious through lines of this entire story, and pretty much the entire story of the Old Testament, pretty much the whole story of creation, is it's all about God doing the work. It's all about God doing the work. He is the story. He is the hero. And of course, he uses people, and we see he elevates Joshua to this new role as leader, 
But even Joshua's name means God is salvation. So Joshua's name itself points to Joshua is not the salvation. He's the leader, but he's not the savior. And his favor, whatever favor Joshua has, is given by God. In fact, God says he will give him favor. It's something that's deeply encouraging. As a leader, sometimes to know that God has favor to give that we can't earn, don't have to earn. And we see him give that favor to Joshua. We, we saw, we heard that read in the passage a little later on where it says God exalted Joshua in the eyes of his people. And it says in a couple places that he had as much favor as Moses had. That is a remarkable thing. Because again, Moses, there had never been a leader like Moses by the time his tenure was done. And somehow Joshua, again, it wasn't because of any great decisions he made or any battle he won. It was just because God says, I'm choosing just because God said, I'm choosing to favor you, that he received what he needed. But even in that famous call, you know, one of my favorite verses growing up, Joshua 1, 9 says, be strong and courageous. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because God is with you. I will be with you wherever you go. And we see that Joshua's courage was tied not to any ability he had, but to God's presence with him, God's presence and power with him. And so we see Joshua models this reliance, but also this extends, this call clearly extends to this nation of Israelites. Their greatest asset throughout their story is God's presence and God's power with them. The presence of God was everything to the people of God, and, and there were just so many moments they had to be recalibrated to that reality, and this is one of them. Because one of their core issues was staying in a place of sustained trust and dependence. They struggle with the wilderness. They struggle with it in the promised land. They struggle with the king after king that's to come. There are times when they just want to default to trusting their way, their ideas, or human leadership. And so God designs this crossing as really an exercise in trust. Will they trust him to do the work? Again, the, the Jordan River is it's flooded, it's swollen, it's uncrossable. We see in Joshua 2, there are a couple spies that make it across to check out this promised land. And we're not sure how they did, did it, but that's a heroic effort because there's no way a million people with their livestock and families and possessions are going to make it across this river. That was not going to happen. And all they could do is sit for three days in a helpless situation something beyond their control, and see what God was going to do. And what God chooses to do is put his presence on full display through the Ark of the Covenant. If you know what the Ark is, it's this very unique golden box that contained the presence and power of God in ways that wouldn't make sense, but somehow allowed for an overlap between heaven and earth. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this this you know, powerful, holy, uh, I don't know what you describe it as, epicenter of God's presence that, first of all, you never want to get close to. And, and it says uh, in the passage that they were to go out ahead, the Levites, who are the ones specifically chosen to steward this ark and carry this ark, they were to go out ahead of God's people when it came time to cross the river and to be out ahead how far? 2,000 cubits, which is about a kilometer away. Imagine that. So it's, it's not just from here to the back of the room. They are 
a long way in front of God's people. Now, part of that, again, may have to do with just reverence and respecting the ark itself. I mean, if you need to respect the ark, watch Indiana Jones, and you'll respect the ark, right? I mean, it's got face-melting power. But there are plenty of stories in the Bible where people disrespect the ark and things didn't go well at all. So God's people knew, on one hand, man, you just want to keep your distance, but I think God is up to more than just reverence. I think God wants his people to stand back and be in clear view of what it's like when he leads, when his presence is out ahead of them. And that's really how they were led through the wilderness. You know, I love in Numbers chapter 9, there's this little description, it's easy to miss, where it talks about how God's people are led by a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And it always strikes me, this passage, it talks about the fact that sometimes it was a month, sometimes it was a week, sometimes it was the same day. But when that pillar began to move, God's people had to pull up the stakes and start moving. And you think about a million people and how discouraging it would be just when you've got the family settled, right? Just when you've got the tent set up, just when you've got dinner ready, and suddenly the cloud begins to move, but they knew If the cloud's moving, we've got to stay with the cloud. And that was the way God was trying to teach his people to trust his presence, to stay in his presence, because his presence would always lead to their best future. And so we see that that his presence leads them across the river. There's this crazy thing that happens where the, the river piles up upstream. There's complete dry ground. But the point is that This was so that they would know the way to go. It says in verse four, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. I find that verse very interesting. You will know which way to go because you've never been this way before. And it wasn't just a directional way. Obviously, they're just going across the river. And there's a lot they don't know about the promised land. But I think the way is more of a less directional, more provisional. God is saying, this is the way I want to lead you through my presence, through my power, through me doing the work, through your reliance on me. And I'll I'll just confess to you, man, this is one of my greatest challenges is living a life of reliance on God. I, Johnny and Amy know me really well. Give me a whiteboard, I'll give you a plan. I love, I've got a million ideas, a million strategies. I was thinking, you know, this morning, I literally had a river crossing experience not like this at all, very different. Um, years ago, I was serving at this youth camp. There was a river, beautiful camp in the state called Arkansas, trees, and there was this river that ran right through the camp, but some rains came and the, and the river unexpectedly flooded. It flooded out the footbridge that you'd used to cross it. And I had, this was way before the iPhone, this was before cell phones, I had a walkie-talkie and someone had given me that was very expensive, hundreds of dollars of, of technology back in 1990 or whatever. And I got radioed to where they said, do not cross the river. You know, it was time to come over and do a meal or chapel. Do not cross the river. We're gonna have to drive around and get you. And the drive around was gonna take about an hour. No kidding. What should take five minutes to get across this river? Because I could see where I needed to go, but the river was just, you know, it was swollen, it was flooded, the footbridge was washed out, and they said, just wait there, we're gonna send a car to get you. And I'm thinking, there's no way. I can't get across that river. And so I found myself a good walking stick, walking stick in one hand, walkie talk in the other hand, and I start setting out across this river, and I got about four steps in, dropped the walkie talkie in the river, it was gone, 
dropped the walking stick. I almost went down the river. It was a utter fail, but it just was a good reminder to me of, gosh, I am so convinced I can do it. I'm so drawn to trying to do it in my effort, in my strategy. And, and we see the same thing happen with Israel over and over and over again. You know, I recently um, had a friend that gave me this prophetic word to start 2019, and he just was random. It's such a gift, isn't it, sometimes, when those words just come unexpected, unsolicited, and the word was, don't build, don't plan. Do you know how hard that is for me? Because I, I wanted the opposite. It's time to build. It's time to plan. Here is the plan. Here's the, and, and the word was, at least for this first half of the year, you are not to do that. God is inviting you just to watch him work. And I wonder for some of you, as you're trying to ready yourself, as you're trying to consecrate yourself, set yourself apart for a new year, if this call to reliance means really practically letting go of maybe some strategy, some desire to fix, to control, to change, there may be a way that God is calling you even here today to empty your hands of reliance on yourself to position you to be a part of the work he wants to do because you do not know the way. You do not know the way in your own effort. I do not know the way. And he is the way. <laughs> and he's inviting us to take his way, but that requires this, this commitment to a reliance on him. And that really leads to the final call because one of the things that makes reliance a lot easier is when we remember a call to, to remembrance. And that's a through line, again, of the, of the whole story of God, of God saying, don't forget how good I am. Don't forget how faithful I am. We sang it this morning. That he is the God who is good and his love endures forever. But his people needed these moments to lay claim to his goodness before it just disappeared in their memory. And it says in verse, chapter four, verse one, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. So after the rivers parted, after the people have crossed, they're instructed before the waters are flowing again to grab 12 stones, one representing each tribe of Israel. And, you know, it's funny. I always assumed until very recently that those stones were set up on the other side of the river. That's not true. It says they're to be taken to the place they were to camp that night, and that was a place called Gilgal. In fact, I was telling Johnny this morning, I think that name Gilgal was actually given to that place because Gilgal means circle of stones. But Gilgal wasn't just on the other side of the river. Do you know where Gilgal was? It was right in the shadow of Jericho. It was right outside of Jericho. So that's about 50 kilometers. How'd you like to be those guys carrying those stones? 50 kilometers, but apparently more than they needed those stones on the other side of the river, they needed those stones in the shadow of their next big challenge the next big trust exercise. If you know anything about Jericho, you'll know that that required a whole different way of doing battle than they would have arrived at at their own. Not swords, but trumpets, you know? 
Not a charge, but a shout. So there was something that God knew about his people where they needed a way, a place to draw courage for the next by looking back on the way he had been faithful before. And that's what we see God use altars for throughout his word. His altars aren't, you know, there's bad looking back. Again, there was a lot of that in the wilderness for Israel. They look back in anxiety and regret and, and wishful, but, but there's a good looking back. When we look back to draw courage from God's faithfulness to fuel our future. And that's what these stones were set up to do, to create an altar of remembrance. And not even just for them. It says, uh, in the future, when your children ask you, this is verse 6, when your children ask you, what did these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so I love that it paints this picture of this wasn't only important for that generation at that moment. It was an important thing for future generations to remember and build faith off of as well. And I'll tell you, um, as somebody, again, that seems to be wired for what's the next thing? What are we building? What are we doing? Which isn't all bad. That's, you know, thank God for, for visionary leadership in the church. But so often, my being compelled by the next causes me to miss the now. And then I can't remember the then. <laughs> and I have four kids that do ask me at times, hey, Dad, tell me what happened. And honestly, I'm sometimes really discouraged and ashamed to, to realize I don't remember because I didn't live well enough in that moment of gratitude. I didn't take time to, to build an altar, maybe not physically, although that's not a bad idea, but certainly in my heart, to where then I can look back and go, oh yeah, I really clearly remember how desperate we were for God to move, and he did. And in this new year, I just, I feel like a lot of what God's leading me to do is just to reclaim some of these altars from my past. In fact, I was in our church last Sunday, and we were talking very different text um, out of the New Testament, out of the life of Jesus, but we were talking about trusting God and the call really was, where do you need to trust God now? And it's funny, I was leading this time of ministry. I don't know if Johnny's ever done this before, but even as I was leading prayer, I realized, oh man, I'm the one that needs prayer. And so I said, well, I need prayer. Who else needs prayer? And I came down, opened my hands, and somebody came up to me, and it was such a simple, powerful prayer. I just knew it was from God for me in the moment. But this person just said, God right now is calling you to remember when you've been here before. Remember when you've been here before, facing uncertainty, facing challenge, not sure how it's going to work out. Remember how faithful he's been. And suddenly my mind was flooded with moments where I just remember when I was staring at an uncrossable river here, uh, you know, a walled city there, and, you know, in, in my own life of what's next, Lord, and will you provide, and, and what's my call, all those times of crossroads that God saw me through. And there was a power in reclaiming those and reclaiming those moments and, and almost rebuilding those altars. And I wonder for you this morning, is there a particular moment in your past that God has been faithful that he's just asking you to revisit or remember and reclaim? Maybe even think of that right now. As you face a new year, as we face new challenges, 
Even right now, is there, is there a moment God's saying, remember when? And that's worship, first of all. God delights when his kids are grateful. But that's also a practical way that he wants to stir and fuel new courage for the future. So these are three things I'm taking into the new year. A call to be consecrated, be ready by keeping my sail up. A call to just reliance on something more than my best plan. I want my life to be perfectly designed to fail unless God shows up, and it is. It really is, whether I admit it or not. Sooner or later, I will fail. Um, And I have failed. But God keeps showing up, and as I let him show up, it is so exciting to realize that there's things he's doing ahead of us. There's rivers being parted ahead of us that we had no, no part in other than going, yes, that's a way that I want to take. And, and I really believe this morning that, that God, for many of us, just wants us to remember how faithful he's been. We've already sung that. That's been prayed over this room. Early on, there was a team praying towards just remembering God's goodness past to build faith for his provision in the future. I'd love to just close with this really cool fact that, you know, as we talk about Joshua, as we talk about this moment in God's story, it is also perfectly embodied by Jesus himself. Um, I was reminded reading this text that, you know, Jesus, the name Jesus is, is Yeshua. It's, it's tied to Joshua. It also means God saves. And Jesus himself was consecrated, was made ready at that very river, the Jordan River. Many of us know that story where he presents himself to be baptized, to be raised up of this, out of the same river, and to then be commissioned to three years of ministry that is utterly defined by reliance on God. I mean, the one who is God is over and over again telling people he is deeply reliant on God. He says, I can't do anything unless my Father's doing it. He lives the the, the perfectly spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-reliant life, and then ultimately carries that into death and becomes, and this just struck me as I was reading this passage, he is a stone that was raised out of that river. You know, we sang about in this morning, Isaiah 28 says, he is the cornerstone. The cornerstone was raised out of that river and set on high on a mountain called Calvary so that everyone would remember the faithfulness of God. I mean, if there's anything we need to remember, it's that God has done the work already through the cross. And this morning, I think God just wants to remind us of these things and give us hope and courage to face a new year.